Hello, everyone, and welcome to the premiere Last of Us recap and review podcast. Fungus. Fungus. Fungus! I am, of course, your host, and I am very afraid. And my name is John, and with me today from the red wastes of Texas is Patrick Ramirez. Hello, hello, podcast listener land listeners. Also joining me is the great and powerful Jesse Wind. Oh, what's up, guys? I got two modes right now. Fucking ready to go and ready to cry. Which one are we going to tap into right now? Going to do a thousand percent of both of those. The first one, I guess. Okay. Today we will be discussing episode three of The Last of Us titled Long, Long Time. Not quite what I expected, but that sure was an episode of television. I know they say it's not TV, it's HBO, but I beg to differ. Oh man, this is this is TV at its finest. Oh yeah. When you look up TV in the encyclopedia 50 years from now, there's just going to be a picture of Nick Offerman getting slobbered on his knob by this sexy Frank fella. Yeah, T- the TV shows... Uh, definition in the dictionary will just have a, a link to like uh, Last of Us Long Long Time episode. That's true, 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 true. Encyclopedias will be digital by then. I don't know why I pictured a book. And hopefully this will just be like um, Creative Commons by then because every citizen of the world deserves this art like it's the Mona fucking Lisa. For sure. I would burn the Mona Lisa in front of both of you right now to ensure that episode could be put up in the fucking place of it in the museum for all of time. <laughs> wow. There's no there's no way that museum has space for a, a TV. We would have to burn the Mona Lisa for sure, I think. Well, I think you're right, Jesse. Maybe we can just get Edward Norton to buy it and put it on an island, and then we don't have I to would burn it. burn Edward Norton in front of both of you right now. Hi there, I'm John. I'm Matt. I'm Patrick. And we're the hosts of the hit podcast, Devil Fruit Punch, where we read the One Piece manga and then we talk about it. There's some funny things that are said in this podcast. You might like it. We say some brainy things too from time to time. You might hate it, (laughs) but we think you won't. So whether you're really stupid or really dumb, you can listen to three good friends just talk about one of the most successful and most famous pieces of media in the world. And those two things are the same thing, but if you're anything else than that, you also might like it. We read it so you don't have to, but you should, because it's great. Oh, that's great, Matt. Hell yeah, brother. We read it so you don't have to. (laughs) Hell yeah, that's the whole point. Do you want to read a thousand chapters of a manga? Me neither. (laughs) Wait, do you mean that? No, of course I want to read it. You're you're kind of doing it for the show. I'm doing it so they don't have to, that's what I mean. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and just subscribe to Devil Fruit Punch on whatever podcast catcher you like to use and give it a listen. Give it a follow. You know you want to. And if you like it, send us an email. We'd love to see it. Ahoy! <laughs> Ahoy! Ahoy! Uh, well, let's just get into this damn episode then. So... We're going to start in the beginning. Uh, Ellie is enjoying the woods for the first time ever, and uh, her and Joel have possibly the worst therapy session you could ever imagine. 
Uh, Joel clearly blames Tess or blames her for Tess's death, but he doesn't want to admit it. And Ellie has decided that that is one emotional burden she's not willing to bear. They exchange about three words on the subject before uh, taken off. You say it's a bad therapy session, but I do think the way she processes it is setting a pretty healthy example, to be honest. She sets emotional boundaries. She knows what she has choice Mm -hmm. in affecting and not affecting. And she demands respect for not having a choice in the matter, not having any fault in the matter. And for such a young uh, person, that was a pretty thoughtful thing to say in such a situation, to be honest. The reason I say it's bad therapy is because usually you want your therapist to be like an impartial third party, uh, which Ellie is 100% not. <laughs> so uh, that yeah, was the t- typical therapy. The man not doing any of the work. Yeah, Jill's, mm. Jill's uh, compartmentalizing all that stuff. But he did build a rock tower. It's, <laughs> uh, it's his tribute. Did you see that Ellie was wearing his jacket? On yeah. her knees. Yeah, and, they, they uh, only said it out loud like six times, Patrick. <laughs> Did they really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. One uh, of the first uh, things uh, she says is, hey, do you want your jacket back? <laughs> oh, and really? she says yeah. it like four more times. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Classic. I thought, I thought, it was being a, thought it was subtly uh, noticing things. <laughs> like halfway through this episode, we're going to be like, yeah, and, like they're gay together. And Patrick's like, what? I thought they were friends. <laughs> They were just nighttime <laughs> hugging. They were playing Nightcrawler. Oh, my goodness. When they dig them up in the future, they'll write about the man and his best friend. <laughs> yep. His roommate. That was his roommate, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Joel Okay, yeah, Ellie... let's get through all the unimportant parts of this so I can cry more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Joel and Ellie are discussing how all this got started, and Joel kind of fills her in on some of the blanks. Uh, you know, he explains the concept of monopoly capitalism and pancake mix and how those two things, when they come together, equal fungus zombies somehow. Dude, dude, when he said pancake mix, w- this might be the best so acting lucky. that Pedro Pascal has ever fucking done. He delivers like two word lines in this episode, at least twice that I can specifically name where he acts harder in two words or less than I've seen people do in their entire careers. Have you seen his work in Game of Thrones? Did you make it that far? Yeah, didn't he get his head split open with a fucking rock? Uh, no, well, he got he got thumbed. Yeah, he got thumbed in the eyeballs. Oh, eyeball thumbs. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck Game of Thrones. That show's terrible. I don't know who makes that show, but it's dumb, and nobody should talk about it or do a podcast well, about you it. you know, we all know that Game of Thrones is bad and dumb, but in that show, he does some very good acting. So if you like yeah. this, I think maybe you should revisit maybe some of those scenes. I bet you could find, like, a compilation of, like, his best scenes from Game of Thrones, because there's some very intense scenes where, you know, he's he's in King's Landing for a very specific reason, and it's revenge, and he really plays into that kind of rage, revenge thing very well. I respect you enough that I'll, like, do this for you, but when he said pancake mix, I almost <laughs> started crying immediately. Okay, Jesse, but what if the pancake mix murdered his sister and raped her and killed her children? Would that do something for you? I don't even know what's happening right now. Don't fuck this up for me, John. <laughs> I, got, I got a question. So did they, I can't remember, in episode one, did he actually get pancakes when it was his birthday? 
for breakfast? What what was his daughter cooking for him? Was it eggs? I thought it was remember, eggs. Remember he is, I think she said like did you get the pancake mix or something? Did she say that? Yeah, no, there was definitely it was something about like she was trying to make pancakes for him and he's like I don't even like pancakes and she's like yeah, I know, I'm making it for me. Oh, so she had pancakes. <clears throat> Interesting. I was thinking that maybe it was lucky that they did he didn't have pancake mix because like he says, like John was saying, you know, the they thought it went into the grain the grain got infected and then it shipped out and people started eating it on a Thursday and then on a by the Monday society had collapsed. Yeah, I, I think it was it was less like literal, I think, in that moment and more just the longing for memories of like days past. Well, I mean, you remember like the neighbor was cooking biscuits, right? In the uh, oven. Cookies. Oh, cookies. That's right. They were like oatmeal cookies. Maybe that shit was in the uh, infected as well. You're right, right, dude. Honestly, I wonder if it was supposed to like, like a little tie in or something. If, if, he, if for him personally, if, if that's something that he thinks about enough, I can imagine that he's like, honestly, like my daughter might have turned even if I did save her. And then what would I have had to do? True. I thought mm-hmm. he just really missed pancakes. I, th- I thought he was just you, explaining like the John. Like, you can't how, be how the me happens. of this episode. There's already a me. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I I'm pretty sure he just really likes pancakes. So that's oh, all it was. I have so many endorphins in me right now, John. If we were in a podcast studio, I'd fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would be great audio. So anyway, um, and you're bigger they, than me and would probably beat me up. But they, they make their way to Joel's old stash spot, which looks like an old convenience store or something like that. Um, do you guys want to talk about anything in particular in this scene other than the very cool special effects? <laughs> oh, you mean the, uh, we're going to talk about the Mortal Kombat arcade console thing. I mean, if you <laughs> want. Cabinet. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, Patrick, we are. Um, uh, yeah, that thing was awesome. That was fucking righteous. <laughs> and how excited that she got for it. There's a character that rips her mask off and spits acid on someone. I'm like, yeah, what? that was like yeah, the girl. first time we saw Ellie actually getting to be a kid. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was really sweet. Yeah. Any uh, moments or glimpses of joy that we get from almost any character feel so weirdly powerful because they are almost non-existent. Yeah. I mean, Ellie doesn't even know this world. Like this is the first time she's really been in it. Like she just, she doesn't really knows what people have told her. For sure. And people live in a constant state of barely above neutral. They're just like one point into the positive above neutral their whole lives. And so when a real moment like that happens, it's just it, it feels weird to me as the viewer because I'm just used to them just coasting on neutral to bad the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys <sighs> think she was more excited by seeing the Mortal Kombat machine or the tampons? Discuss. I didn't see the tampons. That's what she got at the bottom part. You didn't see the tampons? That's what she found at the... Oh, is that what she was like? And you said this was picked over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. I remember that scene, but the box like got flashed and I was still digesting what a fucking... How upset I am with her about going in that hole. (laughs) I was probably writing notes to yell about her and then miss that those were tampons. So this does beg the question, uh, what's she been doing without those? Honestly, man, I think it's 50-50 that she just brought that out because she knew it would make him uncomfortable enough to not question why she disappeared silently for five minutes. <laughs> no, I think she, right. she probably needed him. <laughs> They're, they teach you how to make them in school in the QZ, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, they, cool. they probably like wear diapers or something. Um, so I did want to talk about these special effects. I think they bear mentioning when she's fucking with the little, uh, the, <laughs> the infected who, uh, him live in the wall now. Uh, and she's like stabbing at his face, like a <laughs> little serial killer and like all the ooze and like spores start coming out. That shit just held up up close, which is super impressive to me. And I don't know. I just I thought it just looked really fucking good. I don't have all, anything interesting to say other than this is maybe some of the best special effects that anyone is doing right now. I I think to a testament to uh, our conversation last episode, that was seemed to be almost entirely practical. I think they're doing like a, the healthiest mix of like a 70, 30, 80, 20 fucking practical. Mm-hmm. Then only what you can't do practically doesn't seem like they will accentuate uh, uh, digitally. Yeah, it's like they sprinkle some CGI on top of already awesome prosthetic work. Yeah, which is the right way to do it. Which It, it also for is sure. a metaphor for fucking life and creativity in general. But nonetheless, I'll focus in on, man, that looks fucking good, John. You're right. Hell yeah. Yeah, Sorry, like Patrick, like I his cut you sin. off. Oh, that's all right. I was going to say, like, when, you, when she cuts in his forehead, you see that, like, he doesn't have, the, the infected guy doesn't have, like, a normal kind of skin and then vein stuff. It's, like, all kind of fibrous, like, uh, almost like, I don't know, cotton, fabric-y, fungi-looking stuff. You know? Exactly. Like his whole body has been taken over by this fungus. I thought that was cool. Yeah, which I think, I might be wrong. I think that's actually how the real fungus works, too. That's why it doesn't work forever. Like, it can control the ant for a certain amount of time or whatever. But once the fungus grows enough inside of it, it just, like, is completely a hollow husk and can't function anymore, which is probably what was happening to that guy. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that also, well, that guy is also under a pile of rubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm so. just saying, like, that. I think that we can infer that that's, because we did see the guy before who just, like, was attached to the wall. He was just like, this is my house now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, like, the final form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, For sure. All right, so they are on their way. They uh come across a crashed airplane and a mass grave where the government done shot some people. And uh, I wanted to just point out here that this, this is uh Joel cares about Ellie confirmed for me. I think it was hinted at before, but uh, the fact that he doesn't want her to see the dead bodies is like, because he cares about her, right? Like he's like, you don't have to see that. This is big boy stuff. I mean, yeah, like that's after, after Tess dies and her like dying wish is, basically to take care of Ellie mm-hmm. for at least a little bit. Like he's, he's upset that Tess is gone, but he is trying to carry it out in his own way. Even though he's working through some, obviously working through some grief stuff with Tess, but yeah, he's, he's still, you know, he, like we think we touched on it earlier. Just like he, he already lost his, his first daughter or his, his actual daughter. And uh, this is like, he's now found himself in charge of some other life and he's going to try and do Try and be a dad, I guess, in some kind of form. I think the affection and care you show to a child is distinct from the way you feel about a peer. Like how how much I feel like I would have to take care of John or John to take care of me versus someone younger and smaller. It's just completely – and then I can't even fathom on top of that being a father. But we we talked about it last episode, um, the – 
Tess asking him to do this as a favor is the thing that finally made him unlock feelings that he had pushed away into the deepest recesses of his mind to protect himself emotionally after losing his daughter. And all these little things we're seeing are like one more brick knocked down out of that wall and him Mm -hmm. exercising this care and these feelings that he forgot he even had inside of him. And he was too scared to ever access again, which is we're watching him do that all over again with Tess in front of Ellie, which is almost ironic. Um, yeah, he's had this wallet for like 20 years. 20 yeah. years since his daughter died. And he's been this, you know, hard person since then, living in this, yeah. you know, unforgiving world. And, and I think we can also infer that he never even fully let Tess in either, you know? Like, their relationship no. was close, but he wasn't like, he wasn't the yeah, real th- Joel still. I think th- I think they both kind of accepted, like, look, anyone can die any day, <laughs> any right. day of the week, you know? Like, nothing's, Yeah. I'm sure there's a new normal then where you're like, yeah, those two seem like they might have agreed that we'll accept each other for the best we can be in Mm -hmm. the now. And I'm not going to judge you for who I would have wanted you to be in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, One thing I'll bring up is oh, sorry. on the way to uh, the mass grave that we saw right before they leave the store when he's looking for Ellie, he says her name Mm -hmm. and that he's this is at least. capital a acting oh my god just go back to that scene and listen to him say the word the singular word ellie the fucking the the worry and the concern the profound worry in his voice fucked me up it was so subtle but it was so apparent and it was powerful that's that's actually a funny thing to point out jesse i mean not like literally funny but like you know what i mean because like He's trying to pretend like he's not invested, right? Like, he's yeah. like, you're just a thing to me. I don't give a fuck. But then when, in his most vulnerable moment, he totally betrays the fact that he's 100% bought in. And that if he loses her, he's going to be immediately re-traumatized. Yes, John. Thank you. That's yeah. exa- exactly it. Because, yeah, the contrast back and forth where it's like, hey, little shit, shut up. Don't touch anything. Just whatever. And then five minutes later, him, Ellie, Ellie. Yeah, he pulls out his gun and he's like ready to go, you know, oh, yeah. rescue her from a clicker. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the um, mass grave scene just for a second because I think it. Did you say the mass grave scene? Because I think I missed that one. Mass grave. Yeah, that's what he didn't want her to see on the road. Yeah. The, the mask. Get that the mask grave. Mass. Like the, mm-ts, mm-ts. That- the mass grave. Mask yeah. rave. Okay, I, I I get it now. Oh, mask rave. It's very very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say. I just think I want to draw a line between that and the conversation that um, Nick Offerman has with, or I guess Bill and Frank have later, where um, Frank is like, uh, "You probably think that nine eleven was an inside job. It was. You probably think the government is a bunch of Nazis. They are." Um, and he says. Uh, yeah, they are now, but not then. And it's like, yeah. well, I mean, they did round up a bunch of people and fucking shoot them. So that's pretty much exactly what the Nazis did. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But that's what he's, saying. He's, like, he's like, now they're Nazis, but not like before the like cordyceps thing. I thought that's what Dude, he meant. It is. Well, that is what he wrong. meant. Yes, and John is saying he was still wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you see Frank's point of view. I do. Yeah. You see both of their points of view, but it's really yeah. one of those things where it's like, oh, it, w- it was clearly inside of them the whole time. 
it or just inside took. of the system, if not like the people themselves. When I said them, yeah, that's what I meant. But yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. for point. Like, it's, thank you for saying that. Um, I also to add to this, and I'll give the floor back to you. But the the nuance with which they portray those two characters, I find really interesting. And um, m- most of the time, if you're gonna talk about someone who's like a survivalist or a, a don't tread on me guy. He's a caricature of Mm -hmm. what the fundamentals of that thing mean. And in this, he's actually like a weirdly nuanced, complex human being that has that's multifaceted and has it's it's a conversation, honestly, me and John and like one of our friends uh, uh, who let's get him on the podcast. Let's get Big C on the podcast. But we, we there's always grays in any situation that's important enough to talk about. But the world we live in wants to see everything in the black and white. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to not even just talk about things in that way. Um, But really important, important, profound things. Nonetheless, people usually aren't just black and white. And it was refreshing to see, like, I I hate to say caricature again, but to just not see this cartoon of 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 a, a prepper that I was going to just sit there and watch and think is literally crazy that whole time. Yeah, Um, I I think, I think he kind of was that though. I think maybe Frank like turned him into a normie, you know? (laughs) I, I think from the, the, the between him having the, the knowledge and skill to do all the things he did, uh, be an artist enough to play the piano so beautifully, uh, to have the skill it takes to n- nonetheless like skin an animal, but to cook a John level beautiful meal and then pair it as a John would with just the right wine that goes with it is something I can't even comprehend and is an artistic depth to an understanding of of culinary arts that like I don't grasp. Um I, I think I see what you're saying. It's like being uh, an anarcho-capitalist libertarian was not like his only character trait. That wasn't his mm-hmm. whole personality. Like, Yeah, like his food wasn't like a giant barrel of powder that he had to like mix with stuff. And he didn't have like rations that were going to last him the next hundred years that were dehydrated or whatever. Yeah. Uh, even like may- maybe that's to you uh, a bare minimum but to me that was like a high bar i don't very typically see in shows because they want to drive some typically over simplistic point home so hard that adding any nuance to the character could not make me get the message they're trying to get across and i and honestly most of the time i'm cool with that i'll watch pacific rim and shut the fuck up about it i love pacific rim yeah but- i think also movies can get away with that a little bit more than tv can cuz you have to there's so many more characters in a TV show that you kind of have to like make them more interesting, I guess, in my opinion. But, uh, fair. Well, I mean, we get to spend time. We get to spend time with this character in a TV show. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what makes it like you see if, if the writing's good and the actors are good, like you can get fully fleshed out characters that, you know, you get a lot of insight into. I think that's what made like Vince Gilligan's show so good, like Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. It's like, you have episodes where it's it's kind of like this. Like, this is a one-episode story arc of Bill and Frank yeah. and their lives. Yeah. And, like, to get a whole episode dedicated to that so early in the season, it's pretty cool that they did something like that. Yeah. So, Couldn't just to set the stage. More. So, we, are, we have officially transitioned. We have cut to 20 years in the past where we meet a very fuckable bear named Bill. 
Uh, he's a libertarian survivalist, and he doesn't fuck around. In fact, he actually seems pretty fucking stoked that the military rounded up everybody in his small town. Um, mm-hmm. He pretty much has his whole life figured out in this abandoned little town until uh, Frank, who is played by Jordan Peterson, comes into his life. Um, and Frank basically takes the biggest W in the history of the world by going from being just like a guy who's alone in the woods to living in a nice house with plenty of food, wine, and also Nick Offerman's penis. Easy, John. Easy. I was just happy to see as Murray Bartlett, I think is a guy who plays, uh, Frank or Bill. No, Frank. Right. And, uh, did you guys watch White Lotus? No. I was so happy to see him in this. Oh man. He's fantastic in that. So I was so happy to see him. I was like, no way, that's him. Oh my God. Uh, could, could you imagine being that guy? Like, like living on your own for years and years in this wild fucking world. And I guess how do we actually, I might've done my math wrong. Cause if it was 20 years ago, I don't think this is what doesn't matter. If you've been, if you've been hungry for days and you were living in the zombie apocalypse and then you run up on this motherfucker, unimaginable. I would think I was delirious. Nonetheless, like why would he let you in or be nice to you in any way? Yeah, I think that's what makes their interaction pretty funny is because he doesn't know, like, even when he's down in the hole and, he, and uh, Nick Offerman asks him, are you armed? And then he's, like, real quiet. And he's like, uh, no. He's <laughs> like, why'd you take so long to answer? So like, oh, I was thinking about lying to you, but then I didn't really know what to do. After. It's like, yeah, that's what I would, that's, like, kind of believable to me. It's like, in the, in the moment, like... I don't know how the hell he got in the hole. I think that was kind of left ambiguous because <laughs> I don't know if there was like a screen Dude. of leaves or oh, like for a sure. there were definitely a screen of leaves, leaves. and he yeah. just like fell in there. Yeah, I I think it fits so well too with like what happens at the end where he leaves the letter and he's like, you know, the reason dudes like us exist is to protect people like them. And I, I think it's it doesn't fit as well with Joel and Tess because Tess is also really tough, but it's also just like. Yeah, Frank would be fucked without you, man. Like, you do literally oh, yeah. exist to keep this fool alive. <laughs> like, I love yeah. Frank. I think he's a sweetheart, but it's like, you know, he's selling guns for strawberry seeds and fucking wasting paint and all this shit. And it's like, I get, it. I get like the argument for it, but it's like, you definitely need that yin and yang, right? It's like, for yeah. if you're going to have a Frank, you also need a bill. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, sometimes it's easy to see the bad in people. And sometimes, like, they're there's someone that comes out of nowhere and reminds you that there's that much good and it and exactly dude it takes a balance like we should probably do the next episode on this too like we should probably do the rest of the season on just this scene because it's not it can't get better can it get better you know what's funny jesse this episode was rated lower than the first two no handed fucking kill um i looked on imdb but Maybe like other... today. Yeah, that is so surprising. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the, 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 the glass half full guy here, and we're just gonna not. They're just bad. They're just people like that that don't know what good art is, and I'm not gonna argue with them. What I wanna talk about. Oh man, that just made me so mad. I forgot the thing I was gonna say. <laughs> you're pretending to not be mad, but you're so mad. I'm so mad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, did, really, did you really oh, lose oh, it? I rem- I just got it back. Okay. I did really lose it. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, typical writing that made me feel this way. I'm not sure if there's a 
natural distrust of humans in bad situations that made me think this. But from the second he fell in that hole, I really, really thought something bad was going to happen. Like I had like a fight or flight response where the whole time he's in the hole, I'm like, oh, like 10 guys are about to come out of the bushes like any fucking second right now. And then that didn't happen. And every preceding scene with him for quite a while, I was like, he's about to do something bad now. He's about to do something bad now. Mm-hmm. See where this is going. And when he's sitting down, at the, we can go over this whole thing again because I'm just going to rush through like two things. But when they sit down at the piano, I was like, he's tricking him to do that so he can grab his gun. Like mm-hmm. every single little thing, even the fucking sex, dude. In all my notes, by the time we get through these scenes, it's just like my notes verbatim. Please, please, please make him good. Please, for fuck's sake, make him good. Please. Um, I yes, Patrick. What do you? What did you think? I I, I thought something similar to Jesse, but I'm curious what you yeah. were thinking. No, totally the same. I mean, when he's in the hole, I absolutely thought it was some kind of a trap. You know, to lure this guy, out, lure this prepper out, who's got probably lots of guns and stuff. You know, hidden in there, and then it's very tense, like. It's tense from the second you know there's somebody in the hole up until, especially when you brought up the piano part, I remember thinking the exact same thing, like, oh, he wants him to play it so that he's going to grab a vase and like smash it over his head or something. And for me, it didn't end until the bedroom scene when they're lying in bed together or they think it tells him to take a shower. So right after the dinner. Yeah. What I thought was where I thought the story was going. I never really thought that Frank was a bad guy. I definitely didn't rule it out. Like I could definitely see that happening, but what I was afraid was going to happen. And I get, this still would have been interesting in my opinion, but it would have been more predictable. I thought that what was going to happen was Frank was going to sort of melt Bill's heart and soften him in some way. And that, that, weakness if you want to perceive it that way would was going to lead to frank or bill or both of them dying somehow and that if bill survived he would then be this like heartless like cold-hearted killing bastard you know because he let himself feel one time and then it bit him in the ass so he's never gonna do it again or something so i was actually glad that it was like No, like, they still lived. Like, I was so afraid he was going to die when he got shot by those raiders. But it was like, no, he has Hmm. badass flamethrower minds, so he's good. (laughs) Turns out you could be really nice and have flamethrower minds, so. I'm so glad you just showed me the alternate reality, John, where, like, that is what happened. Because, like, a more poor writing writer's room would have assuredly done that. And he would have fucking ended up John Wick or whatever at the end. Yeah. And... I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. <laughs> he didn't deserve that. The um, story didn't deserve that. This is that's bullshit. And I'm so glad for once in my fucking life I got to watch someone just learn what love is and feel it and appreciate it. Yeah. And it didn't mm-hmm. fucking get taken away from him. Like, yeah. fuck mm-hmm. me, dude. They always fuck me on that. Especially <laughs> in this ki- in this type of show. Yeah. Like in this type of zom- like zombie post-apocalyptic survival show. Uh, when you see a love story in episode three, you're like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. Refreshing. It did feel nice. Um, I also, the one other thing I wanted to say on this specific topic was that um, I did catch vibes from Frank where once he got into Bill's house and realized how well off it was, you could see the calculations in his head where he was like, oh, I, 
I'm pretty sure this guy is gay. I got to seduce him because this is this is how I'm going to get out of the fucking forest. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that he was like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this guy. He was probably like, I can like, you know, learn to love him a little bit and pretend that I love him a little bit more. But it's like immediately goes out the window when he starts playing piano and he's like, oh, no, my fucking basement is flooded right now. Like, I am 100 percent into this. Well, okay. I mean, even even that the uh, <laughs> I remember when he's like, so who's the girl that broke your heart for the song? He's like, oh, there was no girl. He's like, I know. Okay, so <laughs> earlier in the dinner scene, he's like, I know I don't really look like the type t- when he was referring to the wine. Like, yeah, you would think I was into whiskey do. or whatever. And he says, yeah, you do. I think that was another hint that he's like, yeah, I know, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I mean, I'm gonna cry, is, guys. This is fucking the best. <laughs> I mean, in the bedroom scene when they're when they're laying there, he Frank. Um, I get their names some except Frank tells Bill. Uh, Frank is Murray, right? The forest guy. I can't believe I just Frank is this the already. boyfriend, the husband, the second ma- male partner. Jordan Peterson. Frank is the one that was in the hole, right? Yes, Frank. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Frank. Okay, so Frank tells him in bed, like, uh, you know, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to stay for a few days. And I think he means it. Like, he's like, um, you know, this is like whatever. What are the chances I find, like, an awesome bear like you in the forest? Oh, he found a bear Hell. in the forest. I just thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking <laughs> but, buzzinga. <laughs> Sorry, keep but, Patrick around. <laughs> but, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll write this out for a couple days. And then they really do fall in love. Literally. A love story out of it. Nope, I need you to back that one up. You said, ride this out for a few days. Yeah, ride this out for a few days. So That's what he said. Do you guys that think dick. that Nick Offerman is a power bottom? Mm, like in, or he's, I guess he's a... No. I, th- I honestly think Frank's the bottom still. Really? I know that he's like coaxing him into like learning more about who he is and his sexuality. But I think bottoms can do that. Interesting. I was, I was picturing Bill as the power bottom. And Frank is the top. They could also both be switches. May- Honestly, yeah, that's that's probably the reality of the situation. Double but switch in an situation. interesting way, it's cuter thinking about the big, tough, strong man being the power bottom. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to kill that animal. I'm going to skin it. I'm going to cure the meat. I'm going to make you a steak, a really nice steak dinner with wine, and then you are going to fuck me so hard, <laughs> I'm going to break your dick off. <laughs> yeah, buddy, <laughs> get it, boy. I've also yeah. Di- I don't know the right way to mm, kudos. I've never seen him j- just a more elegant, normalized homosexual relationship in a way that like, I'm not like attracted to bears. I, 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 but I, I don't even know if that's the asterisk I need to put in there, but like, I've never been so transported into another person's shoes. Like, with with no reserve, like I just felt love and it was really beautiful. Mm hmm. Yeah, I bought in 100% and they're, they just killed it. I mean, they did such a good job. The story, the chemistry was really palpable. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it just felt like you were watching a love story. Exactly. Yeah, like, which is yeah, how it should feel. That's exactly. what you want. You don't need you know caveats or special asterisks on anything. It's like, this is just a love story yeah. in a crazy world. So, I guess this is the part of the podcast... Um, where I just gush about how much I love Nick Offerman. Um, he is so is cool. Um, and okay, so the part where Frank shows him the strawberries and he looks at the strawberries and then he just smiles and like the giggles. cutest way, <laughs> he giggles like a little girl. <laughs> and like 
This is something that Nick Offerman actually does a lot in uh, Parks and Rec, and it's one of my favorite yeah, things say, in that show. He's this like his actual laugh. <laughs> yeah, he just has a very cute, childish laugh, and he when he is able to pull it off in his acting, it just is so. It is the most adorable thing to just see like this big mustachioed man just go like <laughs> like giggle like a little girl. <laughs> it is yeah, so sweet. It's great. I loved it. Dude, that strawberry scene, like I I I don't know when I started crying, man, honestly, cuz it like didn't stop. They just every single part of that was so beautiful. But by the time we got to the strawberries, that specifically just you like you see that part that you're describing and you feel it it's so real and like you I didn't know this but you said that's really him and so he brought just as real as he could himself into that situation and I went from crying to laughing <laughs> with them and it was so beautiful yeah oh man Dude. I mean I, just, I um we didn't bring it up yet but the letter at the end. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, that's why we didn't bring it up, Patrick, because it's at the sorry, end. Sorry. <laughs> you motherfuckers. You motherfuckers. Okay, I'll uh, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we find out that um, Frank and Bill are the ones playing the best of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, sound alert thing or whatever. Yeah, and the, the reason alert. that the 80s were playing is because he never reset it because he took the pills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the dinner scene. Um, there's a very fun scene where Frank and Bill are having an argument because <laughs> Frank wants to, uh, you know, make the place look nice so they can have another couple over for dinner. And uh, <laughs> he, you know, I, I love this, just like the back and forth where uh, Bill gets very mad. He's like, who have you been talking to on the radio? Like, what the fuck? Because, you know, he views that as, like, a security threat. He's like, you can't be just talking to random people, telling them where we are, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it culminates with the scene between Joel and Tess and Frank and Bill. And specifically the scene between Bill and Joel, which was probably, I'm just going to say it, the most dick-hardening scene that I saw this entire episode. Yeah, John. <laughs> Contain yourself. <laughs> Dude, it was my two daddies just sitting at a table, just like with their dicks on the table, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Yeah, I did like that one line when Pedro Pascal was like, uh, and get your dick off the table. <laughs> Quit pointing that <laughs> yeah, dick at like, me. <laughs> Quit pointing that dick at me. <laughs> I get it, but stop it. <laughs> we both have big dicks, okay? We, we both know this. It's fine. We can move on. <laughs> oh, man. Every, this... There's some genius parts of this man that I'm still like struggling to put into words to contextualize the brilliance because it's not just that what we the, what oh man the 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 Lego bricks of the story it's just like person falls in love with person all oh, the paintings all oh, the strawberries like all that's good it's good. But the table setting, the world that it has to be forced to live within is what makes it a thousand times better. Every micro decision, aggression, feeling, action is encumbered wholly by living in this fucking world where not there's not even a need to communicate what is the problem in in in. 
every situation that the, they're they're trying to escape from it with love, but that dinner scene like brings it out where you're just like you you can't have a nice dinner with someone because you can't trust someone and you can't trust someone because of the fucking world. Like it's it's not like when, today if I was just like oh because of the world it would be like very uh, abstract and like you get it, but it's not. This drives it home in such a way that like I every action meant so much more to me and carried so much more weight with it because it had to fight an uphill battle through this like uh, tangible current of of oh, I don't know I don't know the right word uh, destruction like they 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 had to grow flowers with fucking like no metaphorically with 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 terrible soil and dirty water and then when you see the the beautiful magnificent thing that comes from it you appreciate it and respect it and are in awe of it even more than you ever could have possibly been in the real world like fuck dude that dinner like oh it all just fucking destroys me this is this is why i love sci-fi this that exact thing is usually why i disappear into sci-fi because i like whatever weird world they're developing to couch a situation in that makes a normal situation a thousand times different or hit different or have to be processed wholly differently and in this one it's just it is the zombie plague or whatever and i don't know if I've ever felt like this way about a thing that's not sci-fi, I'm such a sci-fi like whore. I the, the in the middle of this, it made me think about the Walking Dead game. Do you remember the first one? Yeah. Yeah. That game was the first time I'd ever really felt these very specific feelings of like it's couched in a world that I can fully process and fully comprehend all the terrors of because it's not too far removed from where I'm at but just far enough removed that it continues to compound all of the feelings and the horrors I have to process. And by the time in that game, you get to a point where you're, you have four pieces of food to feed six people and two children. I start breaking down. Like I've never been put in that situation before. That's not in an episode of star Trek. Like I, I, I lost it. And that whatever nerve that hit, is exactly the fucking chord that got strummed in the middle of this episode. And that's the highest praise I could fucking give almost anything, honestly, dude. That first Walking Dead game fucking destroyed me. Um, I... <sighs> <laughs> I felt similarly about this episode, but, like, in a completely opposite way, which I think is very standard for you and I, Jesse, where it wasn't one main core thing for this episode. It was, like, 12 good things that were all that I appreciated separately and all came together to create this like masterpiece. But like one of them that I wanted to talk about that you kind of hit on during what you were saying was um, the set design um, in this episode, like the, the town and the way it was like kind of frozen in time and like the grass got a little bit longer and shit like that. Like um, the way I don't know, just aesthetically speaking, the entire like set design was really, really appealing. Um, and I think that worked really well because it was essentially like a bottle episode. I mean, it was a pretty big bottle episode because it was like a whole town, but it was a bottle in that it was just one or two people the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. That visual exemplified the the metaphor of the episode and of the show and of the feelings and the struggles we watched in it. Seeing 
something beautiful try and survive in a place that doesn't want beauty to survive anymore. Uh, Patrick, do you have anything else to talk about before we talk about the letter? <laughs> um, I do. And maybe it's like a closing thought thing. Maybe I'll, I'll revisit it then. Because I was going to touch on how this is different from the game and okay. how, uh, how how it plays out. Um, but I did. I, I think I love this episode for the same reasons John did. Is It wasn't like anything in particular, but it's just the whole collage of events and the way they wove the story through that is just pretty. It was very, very nice. It's, it's, I mean, it's just incredible to see it on TV like this. I agree. Like you both, you both make me think about like there was a harmony between all these things that y'all loved that came mm-hmm. together and made something beautiful and like more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, this is, this episode made me think about a lot guys, like, like a, like a weirdly, like a lot. It made me think about love. It made me think about love in ways I'd never thought about love before. It, it made me feel insecure and, and, like impotent almost in my lack of knowledge about so much. Okay. Okay. So before we talk about the letter, let's talk mm -hmm. about the line. Love me the way I want you to. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're referring to Jesse? Because I think that line resonated with me on a very, very, I, I I felt that because that is something that I strive for and is a really hard thing for me to do because Love is interesting in that way. It's It has this dual nature where you have your idea of what love means, but loving someone means taking into consideration what their version of love is. And that's not always going to line up like one-to-one. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's why people talk about love languages, the ways that people show their love for each other. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Thinking about that line in that context, I, I think – was very interesting, not just by itself, but in the context of Frank's relationship with Bill. Oh yeah. That I was talking about so much, man. And that, 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 that's the cherry on the fucking Sunday. That's the name <laughs> of the episode. Probably. It like, is. I don't know. It is the name. Yeah. That's yeah. Long, like, long time. Uh, like him. I want, I want to love, I want to love someone. I want, I want to be painted. I want to paint someone. I want just our love to be so holy encompassing that like, even if you can't give me everything, you're my everything. You're my inspiration. And it's, it's so just (sighs) life can be so complex and so beautiful in simple ways. And like just growing strawberries, just like being considerate of someone like, really wanting to wake up next to them in the morning and like fall asleep next to them at night and just share music and share art and have them like be your art. And just, I don't just, it's, it's like a self-sustaining love. It, that's almost another comparison to their self-sustaining like ecosystem and their crops and their life. But this love seems so self-sustaining. Like they really do just need each other. And I, mean, I know see they how far want they friends. come too, right? Say again. I was gonna say I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, no, you see good. how far each of them have changed to probably Bill more than Frank. But like, I mean, you're talking about Bill growing or getting the strawberries out, and it's like that's a guy who didn't even water the plants, <laughs> you know, before yeah. he even met Frank. Yeah, yeah, you're, that's you're totally, totally true. Right. Like, think about like 
how hard they probably came too, you know, like super hard. Oh, yeah. you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, dude. Yeah. When you have a love like that, you probably come real fucking hard, John. Like, I'm just saying, if <laughs> if Bill is inviting Frank to live with him after a few days, he probably sucks some pretty good dick. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh man. I mean, there there are slim pickings at that time, also. True, dude. And it was his first too. First man. We don't know if the w- woman did that. Probably not. Yeah. Who cares? Fuck her. Uh, I care because it's part of my headcanon, Jesse, and it's important, okay. damn it. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. And then this isn't as beautiful and poetic, but it made me reflect on, like, I don't... He has a fridge with the things to make a car battery. Okay, let's talk like, about the letter. Let's talk about the letter. The galvanized steel part. You remember that from the dinner? Uh, you well, mean that was for the, the fence. Uh, lead plates? I know! <laughs> I don't know shit! <laughs> Galvanized steel has iron in it, which will rust. But if you use aluminum, it doesn't rust because there's no iron. Mm-hmm. See, John, you're the smart one. <laughs> I'm so sad I didn't know that. I'm so sad I didn't know a single thing that helped him stay alive. Yeah, and I guess this is kind of crazy, but I guess he kept the ingredients for the battery in the fridge rather than in the truck because it lasts longer that way. Makes total sense. Yeah, because if you just leave a battery out, it decays over time. You know this. Yeah. Yeah, can't get no more battery, no more new batteries. <clears throat> I did want to touch on the letter though because it was very cute. The way he was like, uh, "You weren't quite a friend, but I did respect you." And then he said the thing that we talked about earlier about you know protect Tess, but you can scratch out Tess and in the margin underneath it write Ellie, and that's basically the situation that Joel is in. Um, very, uh, very tough. We talk also- about the the giggle. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, wrote it out in the, he the, letter. Out the yeah. letter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. That was pretty cute. Yeah. Um, there's also the scene in the window. Um, it, oh, doesn't, it doesn't show them in the bed. It just shows the window pointing out of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a, a piece of art that the love of his life drew of him, of his mm-hmm. muse and inspiration and his everything. Yeah. But it's like yeah, it's like death ending. and rebirth, though, because at the end of the episode, it's fucking Joel and Ellie riding off into the sunset. They have a whole adventure, a whole life to live. Yeah, this is the beginning yeah. of the really true Joel and Ellie story that you start off with in the game or that, you know, basically start out with in the game. Yeah. It really starts here at the end of this episode. Yeah. So and like like that, that letter is what I think galvanize, uh, galvanizes Joel to really... He realized, like, he had inklings of this is what he was supposed to do when Tess died. But now seeing that letter from Bill, who I think in the letter says, I didn't even like you. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I never really liked you. Yeah. It's a, dude, I'm, I'm going to No, continue your yeah. thought. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's a letter from that guy. <laughs> that is what, uh, you know, the truths that, the, that are in that letter for Joel, that's what galvanizes him and changes him into being the one who's going to care for Ellie going forward, like, hundred percent now i uh i have it pulled up and i'm gonna i'm gonna read this one part that we keep butchering over and over again uh anyway i never liked you but still it's like we're friends almost and i respect you so i'm gonna tell you something because you're probably the only person who will understand i used to hate the world and i was happy when everyone died but i was wrong because there was one person worth saving that's what i did I saved him. 
Then I protected him. That's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do. And God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. Damn. That's so cool, too, thinking about the fact that Ellie's reading it, right? Ellie's reading it out mm-hmm. loud. She's channeling Bill. And she's aware. She's like, oh, fuck. I'm not dealing with just some random guy. I'm dealing with some, like, force of nature, apparently. Like, <laughs> Joel is yeah. getting good-ass booking if he is a uh, wrestler. Wow, John. Like... I'm kind of glad you pointed that out, dude, because I didn't really fully comprehend what I would almost call like were not world. What is it? What's that kind of storytelling called when it's all absorbed by like seeing your surroundings? Immersive. Uh, it's a it's it's like a video game term they use where it's like non-narrative storytelling. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just environmental storytelling. This seems like an hmm. a, a, an extension of environmental storytelling that I didn't notice because. Ellie, every episode, is learning more about who he is and how to perceive him and comprehend him, what his strengths and his weaknesses are. And at first, he seems like a fucking lug. Like, he could just be muscle. Uh, And she doesn't even know if he's that good. And every other person that comes into contact with him gives her a deeper perception of, like you said, this just force of nature, this father scorned. Uh, this man who's lost everything, but at the same time, she also, she gets to hear about him being a a force of nature and then see him as like the, the, the human he really is. She gets to like hear his voice crack and see him care even when he's trying to hide it. And by the end of this, that's going to, as the viewer develop such a profound, like I'm almost Ellie. Like I didn't see him be a badass for 20 years or whatever during all of this. I know he is like Darth Vader. Everybody says he's a badass, but like just the, 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 the balancing act of watching him like be a human and care. And then also be this just Darth Vader motherfucker is so cool. (laughs) And watching her realize that with me is kind of powerful. Um, what's, what's crazy. I don't even think we've seen him be Darth Vader yet. In, no, uh, we have like, like like you have not seen Joel be Joel yet. Give me that Rogue One scene, baby. Yeah. Um, Patrick, before you talk about what was different between this and mm-hmm. the game, I want to commit to something with you guys right now. Mm-hmm. Let's do a podcast after the sh- first season is over of the first game. I got okay. to pick our stopping points. <laughs> I think we should just play the whole game over the course of like however oh, man, long. There's so much that goes on though. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm totally down for it. We just got to, I think we should do episodes like play up until a certain plot point and then, yeah. uh, and then I'm sure there's like chapter it. headings or something uh, we could stop at. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like destinations mo- mainly. I was okay. thinking like, we could just do one yeah. episode of the entire game. Oh my God. Oh, it'd be like a 12 man. hour episode. We, we should, we should do a marathon <laughs> episode. That's like three hours long. But uh, I mean, I'm so, down. I'm down to replay it because I'm not, it's been not a few down, years. That's for fucking sure. But what's the difference in doing one sweaty marathon episode? Like it's game of the year. Like, do you want to post a four hour long episode or are we going to break it up? <laughs> uh, we Either way, I just think it would be fun to do. 
Oh, we're gonna do it like, now. I'm, that would be fun. They're getting they're getting to see how the sausage is made. Yeah. But if we do a four and a half hour long episode that we split up into four parts, or we do four one hour episodes, what's the difference? Um, if someone sends us twenty dollars, they can get the entire thing. Otherwise, we'll release it over the course of a couple months. We won't even edit it. <laughs> if we pay twenty dollars, oh, I will not. I will not edit anything out. I will only add in sound bites and sound effects. <laughs> We'll give you each one of our uh, audio files, and you can put it together the best way you like. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is dangerous. So we'll uh, talk, apparently we'll it's... talk about that more off air. But um, yeah, all right, everybody, that is just about the end of the the podcast. I think the last thing that we need to do is rate and review this episode on our scale, which we have decided on ahead of time, which is Percocets. Uh, it is out of seven Percocets. So, Jesse, we will begin with you. What were your feelings and how many Percocets out of seven would you give this episode? Oh, John. Oh, bud, you fucking know. Oh, fuck me. How many Percocets are there in the world? Enough to start an opioid epidemic. Well, we're more than that. An opioid epidemic of Percocets. That's my rating. Okay. Is that all? <laughs> a million out of seven? Guys, check our Patreon feed because there's going to be a podcast that's only me by myself freaking out for an additional hour or two about how this is one of the best pieces of art ever produced. They should just clip out the fucking, the, the love. Fuck Ellie and Joel. Gone. Scrapped it. And then we're just going to take all the rest of it and just make it the next season of Love, Death, Robots. Like, fuck. I wish the viewers could have seen me. I have a picture. Can we put pictures in the podcast art? Uh, Because by the end of that show, just snot and tears all over me, huddled in a blanket. You should share that picture. I fucking will. Because I've never, the, the best movie ever made. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I cry. Like a motherfucker. And I'm not taking any fucking arguments about it right now. This episode is the only thing that's ever made me feel as fucked up. Like, I don't... It's like that and this episode, Everything Everywhere, and The Last of Us game. Like, the first one. And just... I think... I don't know if it was on mic, but similar to your partner, I was just huffing. Could almost... Like hyperventilating crying, ugly crying. Like I cried like that when my grandma died and I was on the phone with her on her deathbed telling her all the last things I ever wanted her to know. That that compares to how much I cried tonight. I don't know. Fuck me, guys. This was so good. An epidemic worth of fucking Percocet. Okay. Okay. That's a pretty, pretty high score. Patrick, uh, what about you? Again, the scale is seven, so your score is just seven, Jesse. But uh, Patrick, what was what was your minimum opinion? eight? Fuck you. Yeah, I mean, I I have no complaints about this episode, even though it's really it's pretty departed from it's departed from uh, the Last of Us game. Like it is, it is different, but it's different and so it's so much better than the game storyline that this follows. And they change a lot of things, but the ends in the same place, I think, like same feeling. So, and uh, I, I was engrossed the entire time during this episode. Like I didn't even look at my phone then for the whole hour, basically. Like I just was, I just was totally in, in, to in, engage with the show. And I think that's the best 
that TV can do. Like that that's like that's what makes TV episodes really good is when the story is so good that you can't even think about anything else. Uh, and so I'm going to give the seven out of seven Perka Kingdoms. Uh, no, no complaints. No regrets. All right, guys. I'm last. And that's all the time we have. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining. I have only said good things about this episode. I agree with everything that you both said about this episode. There's a lot to enjoy about this episode, for sure. But what I haven't mentioned yet is my complaint. I do have oh, no. a complaint about this episode because it's not just an episode. It's part of a season. It is the third episode in the first season of a premiere prestige television show. So I must grade it in that context. And in that context, I think this episode completely killed the momentum that the first two episodes built up. So, what? While I loved this episode, and as a standalone bottle episode that you could show anyone and they would understand it, it was amazing. But as an actual part of a season, I think I'm going to have to deduct two Percocets and go five out of seven. What if I could change your mind right now? John, John's kicked off the podcast. Okay, John. So if this episode didn't happen, for them to get the resources that they got, to continue the rest of the season would have been such incoherent fucking Mary Sue horseshit. You would have just lost your goddamn mind. If they could have found half the resources they got by the end of this episode in almost any other way, people would fucking lose it. So what, and what they should have just, done instead, Jesse, is taken the first two episodes like squish those out to three episodes and then peppered in the Bill and Frank stuff through the first three episodes. No, it would have ruined the momentum no of the Bill and no Frank way. stuff. Yeah, Bill and Frank stuff is so I love so Bill good. and Frank, but I'm sorry, they're not the main story. I've completely lost the momentum on the main story. Took a huge sidetrack, an entire episode of nothing but flashbacks. It's, I mean, it was good flashbacks, but it just completely stalled everything up. It's emotional I mean, context and relevance. So yeah, everything also, we see with Ellie and Joel later will mean more. And you're getting the whole backstory of like what the whole point of the end of the first episode was. Like why we heard that song, why it matters, how Tess and them get, you know, the how, how the whole trading system works. Like I thought that was all, you know, it's not just, I mean, it's 99% Bill and Frank story. <laughs> Uh, Bill and Frank uh, what's the like Bill and Ted thing called just Bill and Ted's excellent, excellent adventure, adventure. Bill, Bill and Frank's fabulous adventure the whole reveal though that it was Bill and Frank on the radio wasn't really satisfying because we didn't get like hints about that or whatever they just introduced these characters and they're like these are the ones on the radio so I think giving mm. up that reveal and then just having like the end of episode one be like introduce Bill and then peppering in the rest of the love story and the rest of the first three episodes i think it would have it wouldn't have put that hard stop at the end of the second episode like that reset uh didn't feel that from, so interesting but yeah i don't i i, I wouldn't know i mean in the game bill's not really a main character it's not like he deserves like you know a lot of time i, I mean they were very generous giving him a whole episode in this one but i think because this that character it was pretty interesting um and then to get a different backstory than he has in the game that's what made this good. And Patrick, can you imagine what this is gonna 
how emotionally resonant this could connect to a sequel to this show if they end up doing The Last of Us Part Two with oh they're the, gonna do it with yeah. the woman that Ellie grows into and the experience. Mm-hmm. I I didn't play The Last of Us Part Two, John, but do you know anything about yeah, it? Yeah, no, I I know nothing about any of the games, so. I don't want to hear anything. I want to do this podcast and experience it for the first time. It's cool. I only know stuff from reading like a tweet, so I won't ruin it for you. But just there will be overlapping experiences that I think will be even more beautiful and fucking symmetrical by the time that comes out. I, I see with the words that are coming out of your mouth, John, make sense. Like I do. I hear what you are perceiving. I just think it. Is if it would have played out the way you, if, if it would have played out any it, in a more traditionally uh, staged and evenly plotted way, I think it would have been what I need to Google the difference between rote and trite because one of those two words is the word I want right now or both. Hold on. What is this? Yeah, kind of both. No, more rote. It would have been rote. Like I, this was unique. I don't, you're not yeah. wrong, but man, it vibed so, like, I think it was genius storytelling. It, I, I like mm-hmm. when things go back and forth and bounce around. It starts with a mystery, justifies the mystery. Oh, there's like a little seed of this thing. Oh, look, like, I, I the, the, the radio, yeah, the radio and the, so. Oh. I mean, it is very different from the first two. Like, we don't get the intro thing with the, you know, what happens, what's going on in Indonesia or like, you know, some Cordyceps background stuff. Just jump in. I uh, I think it would have been more interesting just because it would have been teased in the first couple episodes and we would be more excited about it probably because I, I've been pretty good at staying away from spoilers. I didn't actually know Nick Offerman was in it until I saw, I think, like the thumbnail for the episode and I was like, oh, fuck. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I feel like if I had gotten little Nick Offerman teases in the first episode, I would have been like hyped for it. Whereas now I was just like, I didn't even know it was a possibility, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's also, just like, my two cents. That's fair. It's what you're saying is reasonable. Like you're wrong, but it's so reasonable. And I respect you. We're kind of like joel and bill right now you know what i'm saying well, i read all the emails so no matter what i'm gonna say that our fans agree with me and thank you everybody <laughs> for listening you can email us at dragons 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 at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at ddd pod and you can follow jesse on twitter at jesse underscore wind also if you can email me and ask for secrets i'll give you secrets so just do that Um, until next time, when you're lost in the darkness, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the fungus, look for the fungus, fungus, fungus. (laughs) (laughs) God, I cried so much.